welcome to those of you who are listening to us here on another episode of Hey, I'm Listening. I'm your host, Dr. Joan. And today I'm talking to Viola Baxter, um, just to give you a little bit of a background on this beautiful lady that's in front of me. Viola Baxter is a new children's book author located in South Africa, and she's a medical technologist in blood transfusion by profession and is interested in STEM education for young kids and wishes to get them interested in science from a very, very young age. Her first book is titled All About Our Blood. She's a mother to a two-year-old daughter and was married in a traditional ceremony in 2018. Welcome to the show, Viola. Thank you, Dalsa, for having me. It is good to see you, and you should see her, folks. She's just beautiful, stunning woman. So, Viola, you said if you could go back in history and mm -hmm. speak to anyone, you said it would be Shaka Zul. And then mm -hmm. you began to talk about what you would tell him. So, can you revisit that portion of our conversation that we were just having? All right, thank you. I would tell him to be careful of the Westerners, right? Um, learn as much as possible from them. I mean, I'm thankful that um, although the process that led to our ability to read and write was a very painful one for our ancestors, on the other side of colonization, um, I'm happy that we learned something from them. So I'd have said to him, be careful. Um, lean more towards listening to the wisdom of the elders. Hmm. What do you think the elders were saying at that point to him? They were definitely being skeptical, yes. especially with him handing over some of the resources that were meant for them. They were yes. asking, you know, questions. And I feel like one of the worst things that has happened to us as South Africans in general, I'm Swati, by the way, I'm not Zulu, okay. is that we did not have um, Shaga's DNA carry forward. I think oh. that is one thing that is very um, unfortunate. Yes. Uh, we have uh, relatives but, um, that continue the line, brothers of his, but not his genetics. And oh. uh, part of the reasons that um, he was misled into not having a child because they given an impression that he could live forever, they could give him youth. And uh, given the fact that he had a bad relationship with his father, he was also afraid of having a son of his own. At least that's the history that is presented to us. Wow. So was that told to him by the Westerners or was that told to him by people who surrounded him or spiritual people who wanted him to live forever? Like where did that kind of come from? That came from the Westerners. That was a trick they played on him. And they just believed that because they were white and they looked like they could live forever? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but, you know, if somebody comes to you with technology that is beyond your comprehension, it will take quite some time for you to understand exactly what it is that this person is doing. Yes. And if they sell you that, you know, um, I've got a product you do not understand and that the hair that's on my head is my natural hair and not a wig. Yeah. You may buy my snake oil. Wow. Right? Wow. That's exactly what happened with him. And he was to a certain degree tricked. So they wanted to stop his line. 
And so they fed him a story, essentially, and he bought the story. Yes, it's very convincing. If you think back to people that did not, um, at his time, that did not have the ability to comprehend what was going on and what was being sold, it would have been easy for you to fall for it, particularly being that he was a very ambitious man. Yes. And if somebody's suddenly telling you that you don't have to worry about dying, you can continue to be this great king and conquer all this nation. I mean, it's, it's easy yeah. for him to believe because that's where he was already leaning. Yes, right. Mm. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's the part that I would say it's like, they played to his ego and and so he stopped listening to the people who had always been They're there with him, him and for him and started believing the strangers but isn't it how we always think that the strangers far away or from far away are the experts and the very people who are closest to us who know us <laughs> and can mm. into our lives that we actually ignore those people most often mm. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. So, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting to me that um, even as a people that mm. we have, you know, the Westerners have been with us for a long time now and still mm. we see them as the expert in everything, you know, mm. and mm. oftentimes are not willing to accept that inner knowing that we have as a people, right? Mm. I'm so glad that you're here with me. So, a little while ago, you birthed Viola Baxter kids. Talk to us about how that came about. Okay. So it was one of my um, <laughs> my nights where I had a lot of coffee. And I, I've always had a dream about um, or a desire to simplify um, science, particularly biology, because I find it to be so interesting. Yes. And many times I'm surrounded by people who think that it's a mountain for yes. them to understand, right? Yes. And uh, I've been doing this job of mine where I go and I do training and I started thinking to myself, I think I understand this and I could simplify it for everyone. Yes. And, and then I thought to myself, uh, who can I teach this to? Yes. Um, since the birth of my child, I've been watching a lot of kids shows and I thought to myself, maybe I should write it for kids. Yes. A friend of mine always told me that if you think you understand something, you should be able to explain it to kids or to a very old adult. Absolutely. Like to a grandma. Yes. <laughs> so I started putting it together. <laughs> so what is it that you're hoping you can teach about science to kids? Is it something in particular or is it just all of science? What is it that you love that you want to share with um, those of us, those who are coming behind us? I would say I want to ignite the interest first. They will go and find the science that works for them. Yes. But most importantly, if I think back to how school was for us when we started going to school, you know, teachers would be so mean to us sometimes. I remember when I was in grade 11, a girl quit mathematics because the teacher just said she needs to search inside of her. It may not be for everyone. You know what I mean? And I honestly think that the teacher should have searched inside of her in order right. for her to be able to help everyone. Absolutely. Granted, not everybody is that talented, 
But to hear that discouragement to a point whereby the girl just packs her things and she lives. And I mean, those are all the things that we had to contend with growing up, you know, being told that only the smart and the special can understand this. Right. right. So right. who does not want to know how their body works? Right. I mean, it's what we have in common. Everybody wants to know how their body works, but then the way that the information is presented or the education is administered, it makes people feel that it's so distant. It's something that I could never, ever understand. Right. Imagine you read this book at the age of eight. You understand it. You're interested. It would be very difficult for a teacher to tell you that you can't do it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so how do you then make it interesting so that as kids are reading this book, how do you make it interesting so that it kind of draws them in? Do you kind of use themselves to kind of draw them in? Like, tell us about that. How did you approach it? Yes, I did use themselves. I used everyday situations and I've used um, scenarios that they have already seen or they may have seen from TV games or from movies. Uh, yeah. For an example, you'll be surprised to learn how much parallel exists between how our immune cells work as well as how the the soldier, the army is aligned. Yes. And you can just take that and put it there. Yes. Like there's reporting, there's rank within the powers of the immune yes. soldiers. Yes. And funny thing is, in my native language, the, the word, because we don't have a word for white cells, is um, the way that we use or the phrase that we use is um, uh, which translate to your body soldiers. Ah. So already with that link, you can just put it there. Yes. And the biggest surprise, which is my um, greatest selling point and also what I give away about the book, is that it also hit me one day how much similarities exist between the layouts of a pizza Yes. And the blood cells. Yes. So I thought about that and I said, a child who can enjoy pizza can read the book, can relate. <laughs> That's fascinating, right? Because I think you've grabbed onto something that is so key. Like when you look at a leaf, for example, and then you dive into the micro of how that leaf is designed, as you go deeper, what you recognize is that it's smaller reorientations of the same image of the leaf and it just goes to a lower and lower and lower and lower level and then you extrapolate it up to the tree right Mm. and you see that it's the same image getting bigger and bigger and bigger Um, even the roots of the tree and as you cut into the branches and you look into them you're going to see the same image reflected over and over and over again So it's fascinating to me that you would look at the cells because you can and because you have the expertise and then be able to say, oh, you know, like even the pizza maker has an orientation to what this is. And as he creates something, he's recreating the very thing that is inside of him. How fascinating that is, right? Like we're all recreating what's actually inside of us. And and so I always have this saying where I say, we all have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) because the thing we go searching after, you know, the pizza dough guy and all of that, like he's searching after something to create. And as he creates that thing, he creates what's, you know, his answer for him. And so I find it fascinating um, that we all approach life on that particular level. So before Mm -hmm. having your child, you, you, did you encounter 
any child with health challenges? Um, and how was it to experience birthing and to experience the movement through, you know, childhood development? And how do, did all of that influence, you know, the thing that you do now? Okay, my, okay, I, I have, you know, in a typical African home, you always have nephews and nieces to take care of, right? So I grew up around those. And when my nephew was two years old, I went away to study. Yes. Um, that was my contact last day with kids. And just like most typical ambitious young uh, women, I was thinking in my mind, you need to work hard, establish whatever you need to establish, career, yes. business. You will um, uh, do kids later on in life. Yes. And to my surprise, having the child, my child has been the most inspirational part of my life. Like I've been re-injected with this desire to work harder. And honestly, even the main character of my book is um, taken from my child's name. Yes. Uh, health problems in the family. No, she was the first one to be that uh, problematic. Even my grandmother tells me all the time that she prays for her health because we've been everywhere, <laughs> literally. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was the first time that I dealt with it because it's funny that motherhood was the most challenging part of my life, yet the most rewarding and the yes. most inspirational. Right. And the one that I did everything to avoid. Yes. I'm sitting here thinking if I had this child at 25, I'd have 10 books by now. <laughs> <laughs> right um exactly. yes and the most challenging things grow us and and it's when we can experience our growth that we actually cherish life even more mm. the gratitude <laughs> that comes in those moments so what is the challenge that she faces well it was quite a number of them and I'm glad to say most of them had resolved Mm. Um, she had, I used to have a list. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, it looked like they were neurological related at the beginning. Yeah. But over time, as we consulted and as we practiced, because I learned a lot in order yeah. for me to be able to care for it, because sometimes I would be dismissed by healthcare workers, you know, yes. not that it's any of their fault, but let me just quickly find the notes remember she delayed to walk she had um gastrointestinal issues which still pers persist even till today she suffers with constipation a lot um she, i remember one of the things that really worried me is that she turned one mm -hmm. and was still not responding to especially me calling her name mm. she still was not crawling yes. um she could not point Right. And a quick Google search will quickly um, make you, lead you to the rabbit hole of autism. Yes. And by all indications, I thought that's what we were dealing with. Mm. But luckily, um, I found um, a lady who does YouTube. Um, mm. She wrote a book, Turning Autism Around. I looked at her, watched her videos and some of the methods. And I played it, I played with her at home. I remember she, when she struggled to point at things, she would take my hand and take it wherever she wants me to, you know, to go or whatever she wanted me to give her. Yes. So I got this um, 
little book with audio for her and the animals. Yes. Because one thing about her, I felt that even though she may have these things in the way, yes. I felt like there's a smart kid that I can train yes. inside, if yes. you get what I mean. Yes. So I got the book for her and we started to point. And initially her response to that was to grab my finger and use it to point or yes. Suso Eva's finger and use it to point. Yes. But then she learned the sounds. I would say the name of the animal. She'd give me the sound. And then we just got in the habit of pointing up and pointing. And not long after that, she went to stay with my mom for like two months. And yes. she came back much more improved. And that's when she learned to walk. Because you know, in wow. Africa, whenever you have a child, you need to be with your, your elders. Like really, <laughs> you need the elders. They are inside. Their support is unimaginable. Yes. And also, my mom truly, truly came through for me with my child. I don't know what I would have done if she wasn't there. Right. Wow. So not only is she intelligent, but she just has to adapt and find her own way of learning. And once mm. she discovers that, then she's then she then gets more confident and then she moves out and she expands her territories a little bit. Is that what she does? Yes, that's what she does. Now the thing that we is also a bit delayed for typically all the other kids is with the potty training because she's already over two. Yeah. So we're trying to get that going. So yeah, but um, I've not doubt we'll, we'll make it eventually. Right. But I mean, I think even your natural ability to discover things, right, which is the scientific way, there's always the question, and how do I answer this question? it seems like this has even heightened your abilities to then ask the right questions, which is, okay, so um, now that we've solved this, what's next? And how do we get her now to that place that, you know, mm. you know, engaging in all the ways that you want? But you said something that was really, I think, so essential that even here in Canada, um, we'd say in North America and even the Caribbean, what's becoming quite absent is the place of the elder, Right. But I think because our generation is noticing the need for the elder. So, for example, I grew up with my grandmother. My mother immigrated to Canada when I was three. Um, and for about uh, seven additional years until I was 10, I lived with my grandmother. And that mm -hmm. was probably the time that I remember being loved like absolutely without condition, right? I, yeah, you, you get a slap every once in a while for doing something. But for the most part, you felt loved, even with mm. that. Um, and so my grandmother was absolutely like a foundation and a base. And in a lot of ways, I consider her mom more than my mom. <laughs> um, so you know, but the elders, I think are so essential uh, to our community. And perhaps, where you are, maybe it's more entrenched. I don't know. Here, people just kind of tend to, even grandmothers just tend to go work. And then they, you know, like people retire and they tend to just go off some <laughs> retirement zone. And it's like the, the eldership has lost mm -hmm. its, its purpose. And <laughs> it's just become this kind of like white way of like, 
not recognizing like there's a purpose for you at every stage of life, including mm -hmm. when you become that grandmother and even that very aged individual that you have a more pivotal part to play in your community than ever before. But that seems to be mm -hmm. lost. So, um, and, you know, you talked about your daughter just benefiting from that. I mean, learning to walk, mm -hmm. which she hadn't learned to walk before. That's powerful. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break. So talk to me about the elders. Where do you, what's the, what's the role of the elder? And when you talk about them in the way that you do, like, how do you see them like helping young children? Well, I'm going to talk more about grandmothers, right? Yes. They literally, they are the clue that keeps the family together. She always knows what people are going through. Um, she will always, even when we are not able to talk to our parents about certain problems, we can tell her and she will sort them out. That works very well for us. <laughs> yeah. And like you're saying, um, the westernized way of grandmothers working, being away or being glamours, glamour, like glamorous grandma, yes. <laughs> that really leaves a void. If you remember in Africa, we had a um, prior to contact with Westerners, we did not have a written tradition. Right. So the keepers of the traditions were always the elders. Yes. Right. So the grandmother's always very important for you to know what do you do in the situation? What is the order? Even when um, you get married. Yes. We, we do the dowry, uh, what yes. you call lobola here. Yes. Um, they will let no woman in there except for the grandmothers I see. because of their wisdom. They sit and they, you know, they check out the people that are going to marry you and they try and not put you in a difficult situation yes. because a traditional wedding can be very expensive. So yes. it's negotiating to avoid the cost of the traditional yes. wedding. Yes. They're very important. And most importantly, it also, um, they're very helpful when it comes to kids. That is such an important role. Wow. I mean, you know, even the thought that um, we have an oral tradition, right? And every time we go oral, you see our strength as a people, actually. So even though we've learned the written way and we've accommodated it and we've gone into all the ways of the Westerners, when even in our spirituality, we are oral, right? And mm. and in the recounting of his history, it's all in the storytelling and the oral way of being uh, that just makes it so, I don't know, it, it's like it becomes alive when it's oral versus just written down, right? And so mm. that, it's a powerful and meaningful way um, that you've just said it. So what is it that you feel the science way, the STEM way that you are interested in, what is it that you feel that we as a people will gain from teaching our, our children science from a young age? Um, would you say the science is kind of like the white way, the Westerner way? And do we, do we need to go that way? I think we absolutely need to go that way. 
um, because you need to know how things are done in the world. I respect and love science, like true science, yes. for its um, willingness or its need to prove things, its need to put things to the test. And um, if you can, if it, I can explain it as it gives everybody an equal playing field. We've got real problems. Yes. that um, can be solved in particular instances by um, the Western way. Yes. For example, here in South Africa, we experience blackout on a daily basis. Yes. Um, we do not have power supply because this, because that. Now imagine if we can raise a generation of kids that will not be afraid of venturing into STEM. They yes. grow up and they solve our problems. Yes. With the world going into quantum computing, what's yes. going to become of our kids? Yes. It's not that you have to make a choice if you are going to do traditional or you're going to do Western. You can do both. And in some instances, I tend to think of our ancestors that gave us the traditions as people who are trying to solve real problems. Some of yes. them, I mean, you put them to the test, you realize that they're very much superstitious. But And then people sometimes insist on holding on to those, even though we now have clear evidence that this was an error. I think if we were to wake them up and show them the evidence, they would have changed their mind. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it can be seen as being um, unfaithful to the tradition to yes. let it go. Yes. Even though you found new ways or much more reliable ways of doing things. So are you hopeful then to raise a, a generation that embraces the science and then what... You just mentioned a few things, but even as you think about your own personal experience, you know, what would you like to solve? You know, like as you're thinking about um, the investigations that you do on a daily basis, what's kind of like a big problem that you would like us to solve or even the next generation to solve? Um, well, all the problems that we face on a daily basis, I would love to see uh, Black people um studying their own industries, right? Uh, providing services, medical services, whatever, making electricity, engineering, you know, playing prominent roles that also help us stabilize our, our um, communities in terms of the economy situation, right? Yes. And also improve our education, especially, mm -hmm. particularly the education of our kids, right? Because yes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm South African. I can only tell you about things that are going on in my country. Yes. And then I rely on the media to show me what goes on in other nations. And I look yes. at, I'm often, I often ask myself this, why would, um, for an example, um, African-Americans, they are the most glamorized, most influential black people in the entire continent. Everybody wants to be African-American, yes. right? Yes. And when you listen to a show such as Candice Owens and you hear that they are also struggling with reading and writing, and there's also a low level uptake of STEM education. And I ask myself, what exactly is being an obstacle for us? Mm. Right. So when I searched my soul and my experience, I thought it may have to do with the way that the subjects are introduced to us. Right, like, oh, you, you're not going to be good enough. Only, you know, few people can do this. Then that puts a barrier in yes. somebody's mind that, yes. oh, of course it's difficult. I mean, I'm not the one. 
And and I think the other part of that, I think that perhaps, you know, having grown up in Jamaica, well, 10 years in Jamaica, there's a foundation um, that is cemented in the early childhood. Uh, when you see Black people all around you, when you see a prime minister that's Black or maybe half mm -hmm. white, half mm -hmm. Black, but then you see a, a government that is Black. When you are able to study about your um, national heroes and there's really an inspiration and when you have people like Bob Marley and, you know, like the big rave that there was about people like that, uh, nothing is coming into your mind that says, I can't do anything in the world. Then mm. you come to a country like Canada. So you have that sort of foundation. And then you come to a country like Canada. All of a sudden, um, you see Black people, but it's not everybody. And then you see Black people in some high positions, but not very often. And then mm. your teachers constantly send you the message that, not only are you not smart, you're just not good enough, you don't fit in. And there is mm -hmm. actually a systemic exclusion that happens when it comes to knowledge. So it's almost like you're playing a game, but you don't know what the game is. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know what the rules of the game are. You don't know what your position is in the game. And no one helps you to understand. If you ever figure it out, it's because someone has to elect uh, to tell you what the rules of the game are in the game you're playing. Otherwise, you are just blind in the dark, stumbling, trying to figure it out. That's what our experience is like. Now, I grew up in a place where I had a good start. Our programs in Jamaica were like I felt smart often in top three in the class come here. I'm often top three in the class. I did not ever question whether or not I was smart. But once I came here, there was a constant questioning of whether or not I was smart just because I was black or looked black, right? So, uh, it, so it's, a, it's a pressing thing for us. So when a child is socialized in that kind of way, has never lived in another country, has never seen another system, has never experienced the help, unless you have a family that is already prepared, unless you have a family that can then tell you what the story is and what the game is and what you're going to play, and most people don't have that, then you're constantly playing a game that you're figuring out as you go along without any guidance. That's the story of the North American. And in, in, in quite fact, it's the story of the world, right? But I think that's why it's such a challenge um, for people to experience, um, to know that they are good enough. And regardless of your Blackness, that you are definitely good enough. And in fact, that you're perhaps more than good enough, right? So that's the challenge that most people face. It's, it's interesting how you um, put that contrast in Northern um, America, because when you look here, back here at home, the teachers mostly are Blacks too. Yes. You know? um, and then you also highlight the importance of family, because that's another thing that I've observed. I mean, <laughs> I don't have any data, and yes. I'm definitely not a social scientist. But I, I see the importance of family and I look at um, other communities around the world and I compare yes. it 
to us Africans and also Africans in the first world, we yes. seem to have the same problem of uh, particularly not having fathers in the house. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe I've got no business speculating about this, but um, I think that would be very important for us to overcome. I you think know, you hit on you hit it on the head, you know, like the the fathers have such a special role and we haven't seen them for decades and perhaps let's say centuries um, mm -hmm. activated in the way that they used to be activated, you know. And so the way that I describe the African father is he's the one that catches you as you come out of the womb. He's the one that places you on his shoulder. He's the one that encourages you and speak into your ear all the wonderful things that you can do in this life. He has wisdom. He can even foretell where you're supposed to go in the future. All of that has been taken. All of it has been taken. And so I think what we're here to do over the next 30 years or so is for us to now come back to that place where we put it back in position, where the black male, let me say the African male, uh, in all the ways that he exists on the planet, has to come back to the place where he once stood and maybe even perform better than he ever did uh, before, right? And that's the essential part is that he can now speak into his children an aspiration and a hope that will let them know, like you can do science, mm -hmm. you can do math, you can do you can do anything, right? There's nothing that stops you from going anywhere. The only question you have to answer is who am I? And what am I passionate about? You know? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting um, a comment that you just made here. It just made me think, because I used to think about this from a very young age, you know? Uh, I mean, obviously very limited understanding and ability to, make a proper like a session about what's going on around me but I remember thinking um, that because when I started school that was literally the year that we had our first democratic election thinking to myself that you know uh, we have grown up without our fathers but definitely there's no way that anybody in this generation is going to abandon their own kids um, it wasn't often a part of our reality or parents were denied education, they couldn't get jobs. It makes sense why they ended up having these ills, although at the time I, I would have not called it that. Yes. And I was surprised when I became a teenager in my community and then the teenage pregnancies began, the, the abandoning of kids began. And even from guys that were raised by single mothers, they know the struggle that their mothers had to face but then yet again they repeat that reality it's not because it's not just about the woman yes. it's also about the child you know if you were given an opportunity to rescue yourself wouldn't yes. you take it to yes. raise yourself better yeah you know and what breaks my heart even more is I'm, I'm not really convinced that we are doing much to mend the relationship between black women and black men particularly if i see what goes on on the internet Yes. Uh, how black men always willing and ready and standby to bash black women and how yes. black women in some instances are, are behaving like people that you know yeah are they about money money this money that uh, you have to have money to look at me you have to have money yes. to I'm like, why are we doing this to our kids again yes absolutely um 
So Viola, we asked her this question. We asked her why, you know, what's your why? And this is what she had to see. She said, I am driven on a daily basis by a desire to see change and improvements in my community. I dream of a day when Black South African prioritize family and information sharing, you know, and that's exactly what she just said now, you know, um, she is waiting for a day when um, the Black man and the Black woman begin to repair this relationship that has been completely destroyed over the last 500 years, right? So Viola Baxter recently became a mother to a child, and we've heard a little bit about that, who had health challenges. The baby struggled with communication, but she could connect and respond to kids' show and books. And this inspired Viola to write a collection of children's books that she can use to communicate with her. So what do you feel is the greatest challenge that kids in our community face when it comes to science? Well, you know, if you had asked me this question, like uh, when I was in metric, I would have said uh, people need just more discipline, just to try harder and all of that. But now that I've learned that people learn in different ways, I do think that um, having more resources to educate our children is absolutely important. And I feel um, at this age where we have access to the internet, we can learn from people from all over the world. We are blessed and we should take that as our stepping stone, begin with what we have. But yes, there is a, a challenge with resources yeah. in terms of have you, because I only saw a microscope for the first time when I went to university. Right. Right. So imagine if you could, that, that's another thing. Like if you show a child, here is a red cell under the microscope, this thing is real. That could also be what excites them. Yes. And that's what helps them learn yes. and remember. So it's not like South Africa is an impoverished place, right? Like, I mean, like, I watch the movies and what I see is where the black people live is impoverished. And then there's this whole like garden of Eden kind of other side to South Africa. Like, so what is happening on kind of like a political scale and on kind of like a decision-making scale that is stopping, you know, uh, the distribution of those resources that are needed for, children to actually then come into this place where you want them to be so like what is it that has to be overcome in order for these resources to be made available the number one corruption the number one problem in many african states including south africa is the corruption of the politicians they are not interested in making a priority out of anybody except for themselves and their loved ones they are the big obstacle. That's the number one thing that stands in our way. They can wow. talk a very long time about this system, this, the systematic that, but they are the biggest problem. Partly, I understand why that could have been. Remember, yes. they were also denied education alongside us, right? Yes. So now you have to find, do a power change, right? Yes. From the Afrikaner, to the blacks and the african is not going to be like oh come let me show you how i do what i do so that you can do it right yes right? that's not what's going to be on his mind yes. so they fail and then they've got all these favors 
that they have to pay to other people, their friends, other African leaders, and so on. I believe the problem is the politicians, when it comes to employing people who should be leading education, they go and they look for the child of a family friend. So they are in a nice position, make a lot of money working for the government, but working for nobody right. at the same time. To make it even worse, where you Northern Americans, I will say the first world where you are blessed, you have a population of people that to a great extent, well, greater than us, you have the ability to hold politicians accountable. Here it does not happen. People are mad about the lack of electricity, the dirty water, but when the politician shows up, they treat them like a celebrity. Really? Yes. So they they don't actually then use the power that they have in their votes to then change these politicians? Is it that they have no choice? Is it that, you know, the these politicians just kind of keep going no matter what? I mean, I think we have the same thing here. It's just maybe at a slightly different level. Um, you know, people are always just, you know, just money, 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 money. That's all they, mm -hmm. that's ever the mm -hmm. focus. But in the voting, like there's in the voting people um we've got to still we have our elders that remember apartheid like it was yesterday yes. so they in their mind the ANC is the savior nobody else the party of Nelson Mandela that's what they're still thinking about yes. and also have to think about our education generally um we are not a culture like I explained that we are a culture that looks to elders and yes. that requires or it creates the logical fallacy of appealing to authority yes so if you want to do south africans you have to establish yourself as an authority figure very few of them will be willing to take you on and challenge you and make you answer it's it's a cultural thing that even if you interact with the Afrikaners, like if a person is in a position of authority they feel that they are not answerable if you ask them simple questions it, it's almost like a how dare you wow now i get to do how who are you whatever to ask me i want wow wow stay with us folks we are gonna take a short break Wow. But, so, um, so then how do you, how do you change that? Like, you know, how many more centuries do we have to go through before that kind of mindset shifts where a politician can actually come in and actually want to distribute those resources to have microscopes in grade school and high school and college and to have children access the education that they should access like, how long does it need to take? And, you know, does it just have to take people like you one by one trying to make a difference? Like, how, how do we get like a massive shift to to now begin? No, it's it's very interesting. I I honestly, my thing or my position is I, well, I don't believe that I'm under the influence of the politicians, right? And I'm not under the influence of the politicians because I can read for myself. I can think for myself. I can Google for myself. I can follow influential people that change the way that I looked at certain things. Yes. So by the way, what I wanted to tell you before I lost my train of thought 
you remember one of the things that uh, people thought about when it came to apartheid South Africa, particularly in 1976, the Soweto uprising, was the bad quality of education there. Right. Right. Where the Bantu, uh, the bad quality, sorry, yes. sorry, I wanted to say bad, the bad quality of education for Black people. Right. right. And then now you look at what we have, right, and what this government has also delivered. I cannot help but wonder, what did we fight Bantu education to end up with this? Wow. Wow. And and I start thinking because past a certain point, you you have to stop looking at people as just black and white. Yes. But then I start asking myself, are they deliberately dumbing us down right. so that they can stay in power forever? Absolutely. Um, it was Martin Luther King who I think the statement that he said was the privilege will it, it will be hard for them to give up power right? Because mm -hmm. if you give up power, then your fear is that the powerless then take your power. And the truth is, we just all have to recognize I have the power within me, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you get a people to recognize, especially children, how do you get them from a very young age to recognize they have the power within them? And in fact, this melanated body has the power because of your melanin, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how do you, how do you begin to transform their minds so that they can then step into that place where they know um, just how much potential that they have and then pursue um, all those things that they are supposed to do. So talk to me about the way that you write the book. Do you send that message in the book? Absolutely. My main character is a black girl. Yes. Just like my daughter. Yes, right? I love the cover, Thank by you. the way. <laughs> Thank you. She dreams about becoming a medical scientist so that she can make cures for people. Yes. See, that's it. Like the black girl looks like you, wants to be a scientist because yes. that is a possibility. Yes. She can, right? And then you listen to a story. What does she have to share with you? Yeah. then you can be a scientist alongside her. I'm constantly thinking about how can I write about other fields within STEM where the kids can see themselves. Because yeah. I think about what sustained me out of that community. Why didn't I fall? Why am I not on drugs? Yes. Why, how was I able to, um, despite, by the way, I was um, my first home that belonged to us where we didn't have to move yes. was a government-issued house. I see. And when I went to school, I used the government loan. Yes. And out of all the debts I've ever paid in my life, I'm the most grateful for that particular one. It yes. makes me feel good knowing that I paid it back and it could educate somebody else, right? Yes. Without those essential services, you don't, um, without those um, services being rendered to me, you don't get a Royal Baxter who talks to a Canadian lady, um, over the internet she just does not exist you don't get the violet Baxter who takes care of her, her grandmother when there are medical challenges or who builds a better house for her mother she does not exist right yes. Yes. i'm not um saying that it's bad mm -hmm. to get assistance or welfare where it's um it's needed but at the same time the goal should be to to set yourself free yes. and i think it will be very difficult to be corrupt if you, you have a relationship with God, because yeah. who stands in front of you 
is yes. a person created by God. Yes. And you're going to take away from them. You are messing with God's plan. That's right. That's right. But most of us, we've lost that understanding. You know, we've lost that understanding that what I do to the poorest and the, you know, most vulnerable amongst me, you know, what I take from him, what I do to him, I also do to Christ. I also do to God. Right. So we've mm. lost that understanding and we just do it to people and we think there's no consequences, but there's always a backlash that comes back at us and our families and, you know, those people that are closest to us. I just love the way that you approach that. And it's really just about planting a seed that really all things are possible. Like all doors are open to you as a child. And no matter if you are the brightest in the class or what would be considered, you know, the least bright amongst us, there is still a path for you to travel. And if science mm -hmm. is a path that you want to travel, then travel it and travel it well. Right. So I love that. So why not create some stories about freedom of the mind and freedom of the self, you know, like, and, and, and those, those stories that are going to plant another seed about, you know, like this journey is about recognizing that whether your skin is dark or light, you are a powerful human being who can achieve anything in the world. Have you thought about that? Or is it just all focused on science? At this particular uh, point, I am, um, doing just thinking about the science the yeah. sciences at this point in time but I would love to collaborate with a psychologist to write a book of that nature or at the very least I also want to write a book about grief how to deal yes. um, with losing say your parents yes. while you live in the ghetto how do you keep going if you yes. still a child because yes. you know life can happen and you ought not to be distracted you know Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Um, I think those are so important because grief is just something that we're always dealing with, right? So mm -hmm. we're always dealing with, I think there's four different elements, you know, there's always the, the birthing element, we're always dealing with reproduction, right? And, you know, all of the issues related to reproduction, we're always dealing with death, you know, and that's just, just part of the life cycle. And it's, it's something that it's a story that needs to be told along the whole life cycle, mm. but also especially to help us grieve and, and to then recognize that when we die, we're just transitioning to yet another state, but because most science, which is kind of the, the language of North America, um, mm -hmm. even in churches, science is the language, you know, but because it cannot be seen. The transition point is not necessarily something that is um, useful to anybody. But I think if we could think about the transition and what that might mean and not just, you know, angels in heaven singing or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be but an actual life that is established in a new form uh, once we transition, if we can begin to think about that, um, the landscape changes about how we grieve the leaving of an individual, right? Uh, because oftentimes we just think, well, it's ended. Um, there's nothing more that exists after this. Um, and so that's where the loss really is. But if we think about the finite amount of time that we're actually on the planet, as just I'm spirit, I come, 
this is a human experience. I return to spirit and whatever that looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. then, you know, in this powerful way, then we begin to reframe and reshape um, how we think about it. And I think that's the story that the ancestors used to tell that is no longer told, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so until we start rediscovering um, some of those old that is new um, and the old that is not new at all, and until we bring them into the present day and reframe them and reshape them um, with a scientific and a new awareness, um, then, you know, this kind of remains the same. Uh, the poor will always be with us because this is how we frame the story. So until we reframe the story, um, then, you know, it just continues. And in also on what was a a reason for um my thinking about this topic in particular is that I've seen um grief particularly the loss of parents really throw people off yes right fall into drugs their lives being destroyed and all of that yes and I thought about how could I communicate to my own child yes um what grief is I mean obviously I cannot sit down and say you know one day mommy will may leave and never come back right but if that were to be the case how can I prepare her to understand that there is that and you still need to go on yes yes yeah and it doesn't have to be traumatic right Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that all comes down to us being willing um, to not be afraid ourselves right because it's one thing if death is sudden but it's another thing also if death is expected because there, there you can prepare, right? Um, and part of the preparation is you can prepare for who is there with your child afterwards. And you mm-hmm. can prepare for the things and the stories that you leave afterwards, right? And, and all the ways, the touch points that you wanna leave after your death, those are all so essential. But people, because they're so scared of dying themselves and, you know, their memories being washed away, like that's all that captures our attention. We don't think about making preparations in the way that anybody else would. So if you're going on a trip, think about how you would leave your your, your daughter. So if you're, you mm-hmm. know, if you're going on a trip, you're packing your suitcase, you're thinking about, well, who's she going to stay with? You know, mm. if she's staying on her own, do I need to make some meals? You know, if I, if I were going to give her some key instructions, what would those instructions be? You know, but if we don't think about it at, and take responsibility in the way that we should, then we never prepare. And then one of the things that black people never do, we never leave mm. a will and we never leave mm. an inheritance, you know? <laughs> yes. The inheritance part, especially. Yeah. Right. So Every like- generation is starting afresh. Every generation is starting fresh, right? And to me, that's preposterous that because, you know, I already have my life insurance. If me and my husband die today, we already have our will. Our children already have their 50-50 split. And then there's instructions that are already set out for them and whoever else is going to take care of it. You know, if we die early, we know they're going to go live with their, their aunt and their uncle. So like, if you don't make the preparations and think about your end, then you're really, you're really departing and and leaving a big old hole for somebody else to fill or for your child to fill all on their own. Right. So 
I, I think that's a beautiful book that you should write because I think we so desperately need it in the Black community. So my last question to you is, as you continue your journey and as you continue to fill the minds of children with hope and all of those sorts of things, what's the legacy that you hope to leave? Wow. What a legacy. Uh, I hope that I will have inspired people to to set their minds free. You know, my nation, once again, I'm going to moan about politicians. Yeah. There's too much admiration of politicians in our nation. And sometimes they're using people and sometimes they are misleading people, right? And sometimes we get fed over and over again the victim hood mentality that, oh, you know, um, you must remember it was apartheid, it's apartheid and this and this and that. Yeah. Right? And I would wish to see people just realize the power that they have themselves, that they can overcome, they can change their situation. Um, when I look at people my age and older people, I can see that it's nearly impossible to convince them of this. And yes. that is why my attention has been directed towards kids, that you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. You. Yeah. This is not your fate. By the way, um, South Africa is the place, the number one place in the entire world with the, the HIV. We spend something wow. like 4 billion rands a year. Wow. Taking care of that. You get on the internet, you get on television, you watch the most trending shows. They are promoting the lifestyle that directly leads you down the path to being one of the people who need medical wow. key for the rest wow. of your life wow you see what i mean and you uh you try and have a smart conversation you bore people you know like you think okay where's the hope for our kids because this, this is not an issue of our genetics this is yes. socialization it's in our minds we we've learned it we can unlearn it and hopefully we do not pass this to yes. the next generation that is so powerful. So you are hoping to get a message out, amplify that message so that the children, and I'm going to say the children over the next 30 years will grow up with a new understanding of the fact that freedom of the mind is most essential as they move through this life and to really rise above the images that are constantly being sent to them. You put it very much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, Absolutely. this breaks my heart. This breaks yeah. my heart because if you have a nine-year-old who reads well, it's like, oh, wow, okay, this kid can read, right? But if you have a nine-year-old who's dancing well, yes. you know, oh, this kid knows this song and some of them are not very um, kid-friendly songs. Yeah. Then this kid gets all the attention, right? I mean, we're not saying to the nine-year-old, stop reading. But because kids respond to the things that we give them attention for, she realizes that if I want all the admiration, this is what I ought to be doing. Yes, yes, yes.
I admire the work that you are pursuing and all the ways in which you're pursuing it. Um, and if you ever want to talk about writing that book on grief, I would love to chat with you about that. Um, so what's the one thing you feel like you need in order to get this thing done? Uh, the writing career and everything. Yeah, your big legacy that you just outlined. <laughs> what is the one thing that you need in order to make it happen? I think I need discipline and consistency. I'm putting <laughs> it all on me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one resource, right? Um, mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln, uh, he's a great, uh, he's one of those great people that I admire um, because he knew that our enslavement was wrong. And he actually said, if slavery isn't wrong, nothing is wrong, right? Like, mm. and he went on to say that every individual needs three things. They need um, freedom from the thing that enslaves them. And we all have something that enslaves us. And mm. we need access to the resources that are going to help us to thrive, not just survive. And then he finally said, every person needs to know that they did better than the generation before, you know? And I, I think those are such wise words because I want to know that I've done better than my mother and my father. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that my mother would have wanted to know that she did better than her parents and my father the same. And, you know, I suspect that all of those things are true for you. So I kind of see that as you go on your own legacy walk, that you are trying to free people from the thing that enslaves them as well through these, these books that you write, you're going to free our children. And, and then I see the desire to just have the access to those resources that make us thrive. And then of course, you know, I think we're all longing to do so much better than the generations of the past 500 years. So I wanted to end off with a, a prayer. Is that okay? Please. <laughs> all right. So you said discipline and consistency. I heard those too. And, you know, we all want discipline and consistency. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your compassion and your mercy. We thank you for uh, the path um, that has been laid out here. I thank you for Viola. I thank you for her daughter. I thank you for her mother. I thank you for her grandmother. I thank you for the life that she has lived and the passion and the zeal that you have raised up within her to just see a generation transform. So Father, in every way that she's desiring access to discipline and consistency, I pray that you just pour it in, that you just pour it in and you pour it in so that it overflows and it just is bountiful and that it blesses her and transforms her and gives her the energy and the zeal that she needs to accomplish everything that you have laid on her heart to achieve. I pray that as she lays down and rests at the end of her days, she can look back and she can say, I am free from the thing that once enslaved me. I have given access to the resources to the generation that is following me so that they can thrive, not just survive. And I have done it. I have done it. And the next generation will do it they will do even better than the generation before them. So I thank you, Father, knowing that these things are already so, and that if it were not so, I would not even be able to contemplate it. So I thank you, Father, for your grace and your continued mercy upon her life. And may it be so in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> now the power has gone, so you can see that it's less late here because right. blackout. <laughs> we will make it better. So, um, yeah, that was an awesome show, folks. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. Um, please share this with the people that you love. Um, help them help us to grow our listeners, um, both in South Africa, as well as here at home and in the Caribbean. So uh, we wish you all the best uh, for the Christmas season. Yes, the show we are recording on December the 23rd. So wishing you uh, belated or maybe much further ahead. Um, Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones. It's been a pleasure to have you, Viola. All right, bye.